0: hotel Uh, we are live tonight I want to welcome everybody to tonight's show it is Sunday March 11th 2018 welcome to the African History Network show Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight a lot going on Um, we see that the film Black Panther has uh, crossed the one billion dollar mark worldwide Black Panther has done a billion dollars worldwide. This is fantastic. Uh, this is a huge uh, accomplishment for this film. Uh, we see it's the number one film again for the fourth week uh, in a row. Black Panther is on fire. Uh, we see A Wrinkle this in Time is the number two movie uh, this weekend. So you have the number one movie and the number two movie both from African American directors. They're both also from Disney. Okay, I don't know when the last time that happened when you had the number one and number two movie, both from African American directors. So we'll talk some uh, uh, a little bit more about the film uh, Black Panther, uh, what's coming up as well. Uh, we know Avengers Infinity War, the date has been pushed up for that to uh, April 27th, so that's coming out next month. We get to see uh, the Black Panther again in that film. And then um, there's a good story uh, about an African-American owned business that is really prospering and uh, making money from the film Black Panther. Uh, and this is a business that sells uh, African attire. Okay, so uh, Black Enterprise had a great story um, about this as well. So we'll talk some about that. And then uh, last week, I didn't get a chance to, uh, past couple of weeks, I did not get a chance to talk about this story. This deals with uh, hashtag Wakanda the vote, hashtag Wakanda the vote, and this deals with an initiative launched by uh, some African American women to register people to vote at the theater, uh, people going to see uh, the film Black Panther, to capture on the enthusiasm of the film Black Panther. Uh, registering uh, people to vote and that is uh, something fantastic as well so we'll talk uh, some about that also I know Blavity.com I think had the first article uh, about that Blavity.com uh, about 20 days ago and then there's a good article from ABCNews.com uh, regarding this as well okay so we'll talk some about that and then uh, March 7th uh this past week march 7th was the 53rd anniversary of bloody sunday in uh Montgomery in in, in Alabama Selma Alabama bloody sunday uh the um uh, Selma to Montgomery march and we'll talk some about that what was bloody sunday that was dealing with the fight for a voting rights act in 1965 very very significant a lot of people don't understand the significance of the Voting Rights Act or what it took to get the Voting Rights Act uh, in place to get it signed into law so many of us take it for granted but our uh, rights when it comes to voting are being reversed uh, because of the voter suppression laws that have been put in place and uh, it is intensifying under uh, Donald Trump and some people don't realize it but it, it is. Okay, so we'll talk some about Bloody Sunday, 53rd anniversary of that. What was Bloody Sunday? What led up to it? Who was Jimmy Lee Jackson? Why was Jimmy Lee Jackson killed February 17th, 1965? And that led to the Selma to Montgomery March. Then you have uh, a story. Um, we didn't get a chance to get to the past couple of weeks, so we're definitely going to get to it this week. Uh two or three weeks ago you had an african-american women's summit uh... the power uh... the the power rising summit twenty eighteen and uh... this summit was uh... dealing with african-american women who were organizing to uh... leverage their political clout uh... push political issues important to the african-american community okay so we'll talk some about that i know erica alexander actress erica alexander was uh, uh, in attendance, and she was interviewed on CNN. So uh, we'll talk some about that as well. And then uh, also this past week uh, was the anniversary of the death of Harriet Tubman. Anniversary of the death of Harriet Tubman. So we know Harriet Tubman uh, passed away in 1913, one year before the uh, uh, one year before World War I started. Uh, in 1914. So in uh, Baltimore, there was a uh, park space where a Confederate monument uh, stood, and they have um, uh, rededicated uh, that space to Harriet Tubman. So we're going to talk some about that and talk about uh, some of uh, Harriet Tubman's legacy as well. Okay. And then we'll do it this date in African-American history, this date in African-American history. Now on the African History Network show, we uh, focus on educating empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now is corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet K E M E T to two two eight two eight to sign up for our email newsletter, or go to our website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com. Also, right now at our website, we have a uh, bundle pack on some online courses that I teach. Most of them on, are on demand. You get uh, six in the bundle. It's on sale eighty dollars. That includes uh, my probably my most well known online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Maafa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school Uh, And it also automatically enrols you in the online court online class. I'm doing Saturday March 24th 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time dealing with the film Black Panther We're doing a uh, online lecture That's analysis of the film Black Panther a number of different uh, topics number of different themes uh, dealt with in the film, okay, so uh visit africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com all oh, that's right on the uh homepage of the website and uh, those watching on facebook book will post the link here on the thread of the broadcast also okay so you can register for that all right so um, looking at the box office mojo we see the film Black Panther came in number 1 again fourth week in a row 41 million $136,000. Uh, we see the film Rink- A Wrinkle in Time came in number two directed by Ava DuVernay. $33 million. Okay, So not bad for that film. Came in uh, number two. Uh, Strangers 2 was a distant third at 10 $10.4 million, million. A very distant third. $10.4 million. But the, the big news is that the film Black Panther has done $1 billion worldwide. So a few days ago it debuted in China, almost did $20 million opening day in China. Huffington Post Black Voices has a, uh, a good article. Black Panther hits $1 billion mark in worldwide box office numbers. The superhero film challenges the Hollywood myth. Challenges the Hollywood myth that movies with predominantly black casts don't travel. Okay? So, some of you all saw the Facebook Live uh, broadcast I did a couple days ago dealing uh, with this topic. But I want to talk about it again now because it's worth talking about. So, um, the the Marvel blockbuster passed a major benchmark this past Friday, according to Forbes. dot com, one billion dollars worldwide. I don't know if uh, a um, movie directed by African American director has done a billion dollars um, in the theater. Okay, in the theater, I, I, I don't know. I don't remember of a of a movie. Uh, directed by an African-American director that, that did $1 billion. But the film is now the uh, now the United States' ninth domestically highest-grossing film of all time. <laughs> ninth domestic highest-grossing film of all time. And um, the Black Panther also had the second-largest four-day domestic opening weekend. Okay? Second-largest four-day domestic opening weekend Uh, so its opening weekend it brought in 242 million dollars it was only behind Star Wars The Force Awakens which came out in 2015 and did 288 million dollars over the four-day weekend so the international success of Black Panther has challenged the myth That films with a predominantly African American cast do not sell, and it helps unravel unwritten Hollywood rules. Okay, and this was stated by Jeff Bock, B-O-C-K, who's a senior analyst at Entertainment Research for Exhibitor Relations. Uh, He told, he, he made this statement to the New York Times. So, if you talk to directors in Hollywood, and I have. If you study this, then you know that the myth in Hollywood is that uh, one of the reasons why they're reluctant to uh, invest a lot of money in in, uh, movies that have a predominantly African-American cast is because they say that the movie does not sell well overseas, okay? Uh, these predominantly African American cast movies don't sell well overseas, and then oftentimes they say, "Well, we need to have you know a big white star. We need to have a Brad Pitt. You know, we need to have a Tom Cruise in this movie. We need to have a we need to have a white hero in, in these films, right?" So, um, the film Panther, which came out in 1995, directed by uh, it was Mario Van Peebles and Melvin Van Peebles, okay. Um, when they were shopping, I saw an interview that they did about the film. So the film Panther was about the Black Panther Party for self-defense 1995. Dean Hardison was in there, Courtney B. Vance, Angela Bassett, right? So uh, I saw an interview that they did, and they said when they were shopping the idea around to the different studios, one of the execs or whoever it was at one of the studios suggested that they uh, have a white Black Panther because they said, you know, we need to have, you know, a big white star in the film so it would sell well. Okay? And they, and they explained to them, wait a second, there were no white Black Panthers. You know, they said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to make this up. There were no white Black Panthers. Okay? Uh, but these are the type of games that Hollywood plays. Okay? And they make the argument that these movies don't sell well overseas also. Okay, you have to have some white actors, white actresses in here for them to sell. So Jeff Bach went on to say, I think about it, uh, I think about it like a wall crumbling in terms of Black Panther, no studio can say again, oh, black movies don't travel. Overseas, uh, overseas interest will be minimal, okay? And then if you look at the film Red Tails from George Lucas, right? George Lucas created Star Wars. George Lucas had been trying to get that movie, Red Tails, made since the 1980s. I saw interviews, he talked about it. And it's about the Tuskegee Airmen, all right? These African-American fighter pilots. And he said the studios did not want to make the movie because they said there are no white heroes in the films. He said the heroes are the African-American fighter pilots. These are the heroes. So he spent ninety million dollars, or a little more than ninety million, of his own money to, to, to make the film and, and the, to market the film, because the other studio, the studios didn't want to make that movie. Okay, and interesting enough, I, I looked at the box office receipts on Panther. Panther to, to date has done like six point eight five million dollars. It came out in 1995. I don't know what type of marketing budget they had for that film, but they've done like $6.85 million. Go to imdb.com. Look at the box office receipts. All right, we'll be back in a few minutes. The African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel, 9:10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9 10 a.m. The Superstation. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, March 11th, 2018, and we are live three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number if you have a question or comment three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number if you have a question or comment alright uh... so I was talking about um, the film black panther being the number one film again four weeks in a row it's crossed the one billion dollar mark uh... worldwide okay so, uh, there's a good article from Huntington Post, Black Voices, uh, that talks about this. Black Panther hits one billion dollar mark uh, in worldwide box office numbers. But it, more importantly, it talks about how this is a game changer for the type of movies we'll see uh, coming out of Hollywood for uh, pertaining to African Americans, especially with the predominantly African American cast. And we also see that uh, the film that came in number two uh, this week is uh, *A Wrinkle in Time*, directed by Ava DuVernay, and this film is um, this film has the largest budget uh, of it for an African American director at one hundred million dollars. This film has the largest budget for an African American mm-hmm. female director, I should say, African female director at one hundred million dollars. Okay, so uh, let me go back to this article here. So. Um, Jeff Bach, who's a senior analyst at uh, at Entertainment Research Firm Exhibitor Relations, told the New York Times, "He said the international success of Black Panther has challenged the myth that films with predominantly predominantly black cast don't sell, and it helps unravel unwritten Hollywood rules." He said, "quote I think about I think about it like a wall crumbling." in terms of black panther no studio can say again "Oh, black movies don't travel overseas uh... Oh, black m- black movies don't travel overseas interest will be minimal now stars of the film uh, black panther include Chadwick bozeman and lapita nyong'o uh... and Danae the uh, and they have spoken out about the importance of representation in the movie uh, Black Panther which is uh, set in a fictional uh, country of Wakanda shows the possibilities of an African society untouched by colon- colonialism and gender inequality. Chadwick Boseman uh, told NBC News he said I think there's a thirst for these images. There's a real thirst for black superheroes, which is tr- which is true. Now, um and also it's been announced that there will be a sequel, the Black Panther, uh, sequel to the Black Panther. We don't know when it's coming out, but it's already been announced. Uh, Kevin Fage, uh, Marvel Studios president, announced uh, this past week that, there'll be, that there will be a sequel to uh, the Black Panther. And uh, as, as we mentioned last week, there's a good article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Lapita Nyong'o and Viola Davis to star in movie about the real female warriors of Black Panther. The real female warriors of Black Panther. And this uh, film, I don't know the release date, but it's going to be about the uh, uh, African female warriors of Dahomey, the Amazons, the Mino of Dahomey. And it's about uh, a real-life mother and daughter. Uh, Viola Davis will play the mother Lupita will pay the daughter, and these are African female warriors. And um, Dahomey is in uh, what modern-day Benin is. Um, and these uh, female warriors uh, fought in the First Franco-Dahomian War in 1890 and defeated the French alongside uh, African male warriors as well. Okay, so they have a good article from AtlantaBlackStar.com uh, about this also. So I think you're going to see... A, uh, a real I think we're going to see some real positive things in the type of uh, movies we see uh, coming out now especially with uh predominantly African American cast okay uh, I'm going to go to this other story here in just a minute dealing with uh, Black Panther movie success sends demand for African attire through the roof but before we do that let's go to the phone lines let's go to line one let's go to clip Hey Cliff, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. I'm
1: calling from Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Atlanta, what's going on, man? How much
1: pressure do you I appreciate everything nice
0: you Oh, thanks, brother. Thank you. But, uh, I just um, wanted how to you say, know? uh, like, how uh, you doing? I'm a
2: lot but I'm from Charleston, man. I mean, I'm geeky. Uh, are
3: you familiar with the Gullagheechee?
0: Gullagheechee, Gitch? y'all familiar with them, some? Yeah.
3: I was wondering, man, if, uh, if you ever get a time to, uh, just, uh, to give a breakdown of the Gullahkees. It seems like we kind of get glossed over in history. Mm-hmm. And just so
1: you look at the significance of what we did is being um, conquered, right? our wars with Andrew Jackson you know, and the establishments that he
3: did as far as you going know, up the camera with the women and kids, you know, and it's so like a very very quickly even know about the, about the Gullahkees.
0: Okay. Okay. All right, yeah, we'll probably do that uh, coming up soon. I know uh, atlantablackstar.com had a really good article about that that I read. I think it was something like 10 facts about the Gullah Geechee um, yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that uh, in the next, uh, probably the next one to two weeks. We'll talk about the Gullah Geechee because, yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't know about that. Absolutely. Okay, man, I appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot. Okay, no problem. No problem. All right, let's go to Tony, line two. Uh, Tony, tell us where you're calling from. Welcome to the African History Network show. West side, uh, Detroit.
3: Um, good evening, Brother Michael. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I to, I'm good. I wanted to know if you heard about um, when Danny Glover tried to get green lighted for um, the movie about Haiti. Yeah. And um, they told him that they needed... Um, like a good white person in the um in the, uh, mm-hmm. screenplay, and he said, "Well,
0: there was there's
3: there's nobody like
0: that in the history." Right. And uh, he got denied um, like 200 million funding. Right. Right. Yeah, I heard. I know he was trying to make uh, I know he was trying to make uh, a film about the Haitian Revolution for about 18 years. And I heard uh, something to that effect, but that's uh, and and one one of the one of the games that Hollywood will, will play is that they'll say, "Well, you know, we need uh, a big white star in this film so that white people will come see it." So you know they want to cast Brad Pitt, or even or even if you look at the movie The Last Samurai, they had Tom Cruise as the Last Samurai.
3: Right. Oh,
0: yeah, that was a movie that came out some years ago. Tom Cruise. Was the Last Samurai, right? So these, yes, these yeah, so these are, these are the type of games uh, Hollywood plays. Yeah, yeah. But I, I heard something to that effect with uh, Danny Glover. I know he had been trying to make a movie uh, about the Haitian Revolution, and it didn't happen. And the uh, and if you look at the Nat Turner Rebellion uh, with Nate Parker's film, The Birth of a Nation, people have been trying to make a movie about Nat Turner for years, and basically the only way. Uh, Nate Parker was able to make the movies that he raised the money himself. That was an independent film Mm -hmm. that he sold to Fox, that he that he sold to Fox Searchlight. But he 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 made that film independently and then sold it to Fox Searchlight for distribution. Okay. And what you
3: were saying about the Dahomey Amazon from Benin? Yeah. They had traveled with Mansa Musa. At
0: one point in time, he was the richest man in the world. Right, from the Malayan Empire. No. Yeah, from the that's Mali Empire. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly, sir, yes. It's so, our history is so rich, and there's so much to discover. And I, you know, really do um, like to ask the aspects Black, of Black Panther mm-hmm. that shine lights on, uh, on some of this stuff, especially... You know, an uh, asteroid hit, hit high 80 and there's a uh, iridium um, that is going for like a billion dollars uh, a ton or maybe four billion. I'm not sure about it.
0: you well, so um, what? what is it that's going for? Four billion?
3: Iridium. It's a um, metal. It's a metal? That a, a asteroid hit uh, parts of Canada and parts of... Um, It was Haiti and another African uh, country, I'm not sure. Okay. I have to do some more research. But, yeah, it sells for, like, um, billions of dollars a ton.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, I have to check that out. That's one
3: reason why they had to defend themselves. So, um, but they, they conquered, like, three different, the British, the French, and the Spanish.
0: Yeah, they defeated them in the Haitian Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay, thanks for taking my call,
0: Michael. Okay, Tony, take care. Thanks. All right, 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. All right, so um, he yeah, had this uh, a good article from BlackEnterprise.com. Black Panther movie success sends demand for African attire through the roof. Black Panther movie success sends demand for African attire through the roof. So, you 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 hear people on social media um, say, "Oh, well, this movie is making hundreds of millions of dollars. The African American community is not making any money." That's not true. And I've said that before. That's not true. Now, you may be, you may not be making any money, but that doesn't mean that uh, uh, African Americans in the community, business owners, things like this, are not making any money. Uh, So, uh, this article talks about uh, Atom Oton, A-T-I-M-O-T-O-N, who is a um, a business owner, uh, African-American female business owner, who runs, uh, she owns a number of businesses, uh, but uh, one of the main ones they talk about is Calabar Imports in New York, Calabar Imports in New York and this article talks about how she is selling african garb and she um, prepared herself she positioned herself to be able to uh... profit off of this film So um, she says she prepped for demand ahead of the black panther film uh, premiere Okay, and uh, they show some of her designs here in the article as well Uh, She told Black Enterprise, she said, quote, yes, we at Calabar Imports planned ahead as we were expecting a spike in sales from our current customers and also new customers that we would gain uh, during the period in our three locations. Okay, so once again, the film Black Panther premiered February 16th, um, 2018, but there were some screenings like that Thursday night, um, you know, things like this. So she said uh, she ordered several types of dashikis, clothing, and jewelry ahead of time. And she said, quote, we also made head wraps, headbands, and scarves, which were bought in middle January when sales really began. She said, as we represent several designers, we brought out more of their clothing earlier in January, something we typically bring out in February. Now, she said that the release of the movie has had a trickle-down effect on all of her businesses. Now, at her Bed-Stuy location in Brooklyn, on Tompkins Avenue and Madison Street, she said that sales were up 60%. Okay? We ha- she said, we had more foot traffic, about 60% more than the week before the film's release, and sales were hitting numbers as high as 140%. In each other stores okay now her other locations also saw an increase in sales sales went up forty percent at her Crown Heights location in Brooklyn and forty percent in her Harlem location on 134th Street and Frederick Douglass Boulevard okay now I've probably i have been to 134th Street there in Harlem I've been I've been there to the uh, uh, the Black Arts Theater okay so I've probably seen the store uh, as well okay now she went on to say we also did a social media campaign on Instagram and Facebook around clothing options to wear for the movie she said they ran a few slideshows and actually compiled looks and brought in fabric which we don't sell as much anymore okay so they pre- so she prepared herself for this opportunity successes were preparation Meets opportunity. She prepared herself for this opportunity. She saw it coming. Okay, we knew for four years this movie was coming out. First found out in 2014. Then, in Captain America: Civil War, the Black Panther is in the film. And then we got we found out it was coming out in 2016. So she she prepared herself for it. Okay. Um, now they also talk about uh, another store owner who owns. Uh, Elegance African Fashions in Boston uh, 11 years ago, uh, who opened the store 11 years ago. Uh, the, the owner's name is Ebby. And Ebby said customers have been flocking to the shop that sells African clo- clothes and accessories. It's been a busy, busy, busy day. Okay, Ebby <laughs> told Boston uh, 25 News. Now, Ebby uh, is a fashion designer by trade and has been running the small uh, shop underneath her home in Dorchester for over a decade. And she said the winter season has been her busiest yet. She said she has been opening her shop early and staying late ever since the premiere of the film Black Panther. She said, quote, we have Nigeria, we have Tanzania, we have Ghanaian, Cameroonian, And we have just like, and we have, she said, we have just Liberia everywhere. Now, in Barbados, cloth materials seem to fly off the rolls, according to Suzette Lane, L A Y N E, who's a store manager at Swan Street in Bridgetown. But, uh, uh, but that, but, but this year has been unusual. Now, Suzette Lane said, quote, it's been incredible with the Black Panther movie because as you have seen in the media a lot of people have really been going all out and dressing up for the movie so we have had an increase of sales this period when the when the movie was released now demand for fabric has become so great that um uh, Abed is missing orders, um, and this was somebody that was talked about. Um, let me see, who was this? I'm not sure who this was, but uh, Abed said, "quote We've tried, we keep trying, but for some reason, we sometimes fall short on the quota based on the popularity of the fabric, and we would have and and we would have been selling our African fabric throughout the year. Normally, we would only bring it out." around the time, uh, around this time of year, uh, in February. But we have realized that there is a demand for it constantly. The demand may not be great during the year, but all during the, the the, the demand may not be great during the year, but all during the year, African fabric has been selling. In Philadelphia, you have uh, a store owner named Ngozi, and Gozi barely opened up shop for the day when her first customers arrived. In the days leading to the official release of the Black Panther film on February 16th, and Gozi told the Philadelphia Inquirer that her store was so packed, quote, you couldn't walk through here, end quote. She said, I had the mother, the father, and the children all wanted me to make outfits for them to go see the movie. I was here until 8 p.m. one night now a recent high school graduate named Kasam Rose who visited in Gozi's shop in uh, in the Philadelphia area said he needed the attire to quote get in the right mood end quote for the movie he purchased a dashiki in, in vivid red print to see the movie with his father and three of his uh, four brothers uh, so much of Ngozi's inventory, so so much of Vengozzi's inventory was purchased, leaving naked walls that she had to remove some clothes from the floor racks to replace them. In Brooklyn, a team O T O N says she ha- says she has been capitalizing on the buzz at all of her stores. Uh, a team through several events from trunk shows to pop-up shops and food events this is the zoning all three all the the, the, the sales are through the roof at all three of our, of our tim uh Outen's, uh locations she had all her staff well versed in what kind of style would fit the different kinds of people coming into the store see this see success See, see, I taught entrepreneurship. I know I can tell this system knows what she's doing. Success is where preparation meets opportunity. She she not only prepared herself, she prepared her staff. She stopped she stocked up properly. So when I hear people saying, Oh, you know, the film's making this money, the African American community's not making anything. No, that's not true. You're not making anything. And I guarantee you, if they had a ten year notice that the film was coming out 10 years from now, when the film came out 10 years from now, they would still say the same thing because their mind is not focused on generating revenue. Their mind is focused on complaining, which is this, and this is what they do. So, uh, uh, Tim Olsen said, quote, at our height of sales, people came in looking to dress like Shaka Zulu and Eddie Murphy and coming to America. We were able to accommodate them as I had brought out spears and shields from our storage. Okay? And she said that she is seriously exploring selling Black Panther merchandise next. Oh, yeah, sister, you need to sell Black Panther merchandise. But this will probably continue next month because the Black Panther, uh, T'Challa, Shuri, uh, 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 Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, M'Baku, M'Baku, Ramonda, Angela Bassett's character, General Orkoya, they're all coming back for Avengers Infinity War, which premieres April 27th. So (laughs) April's going to be huge. (laughs) April's going to be a huge month. All right. (laughs) Check out this article from BlackEnterprise.com. Now, look, BlackEnterprise.com is a powerful, powerful website. Okay. If if you're an African-American business owner, you need to read BlackEnterprise.com. If you shop at a black-owned business, you need to read blackenterprise.com. If you have a job, you need to read blackenterprise.com. Go to blackenterprise.com. Check them out. They have a lot of good information there. The name of this article, once again, Black Panther Movie Success Sends Demand for African Attire Through the Roof. Okay? And if they're smart, they're, they'll order some DVDs from Michael M. Hotel of my lectures. You can go to africanhistorynetwork.com. So if you sell, if you sell African Attire... And you should also become a distributor of my DVD lectures because now that they wear African attire, now they want to have some knowledge to fill their to to to, to, to uh, put into their heads because their minds are being open. So visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can email through me, email me through the website, and let me know you want to become a distributor of my dvd lectures i have 35 of my presentations on dvd probably about 36 37 now because that stuff i recorded i haven't been able to put on dvd yet africanhistorynetwork.com all right 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment, all right? And we have a, a bundle pack going on on DVDs, an eight-DVD bundle, bundle pack. The, uh, we did the 48-hour uh, sell again this weekend. Is at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You get eight of my latest DVD presentations. It's on sale, $50. dollars we got a few more hours left in that bundle pack. Those watching on uh, Facebook, we'll, put the, we'll post the thread. Uh, we'll post the information on the thread of the broadcast also. Uh, we've got about four hours left in that... Uh, in that sales so we posted here. Uh, you get my presentation dinner with uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X, 50 years later. Why is he still relevant? The distortion of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The revolutionary will not be televised on the television. The racist history of the white national anthem and the pledge of allegiance. Thirteen forms of wealth, keys to uh, economic empowerment and entrepreneurship for African Americans. Great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. The real story of the Confederate monuments, the Confederate flag, and while Robert E. Lee was against both of them. Uh, and there's a couple other presentations. Uh, there's eight um, DVD lectures in in that bundle pack. It's also at africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com, all right? Okay, uh, so everybody watching on Facebook, hey, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well, all right? Okay, so you have this story, blavity.com. Have this article from uh, about 20 days ago, because Blavity doesn't put the date of the articles uh, here. So if you know anybody that works at Blavity.com, tell them put the date on these got do- these doggone articles, please. People use these for reference. Put the date on the article. All right. It says 20 days ago, so I have to go to the calendar and count. Come on, Blavity. Come on. But they have a good article, uh, and also. Um, ABCnews.com. So there's an initiative called hashtag Wakanda the Vote. Hashtag Wakanda the Vote. So we know that Wakanda is the fictitious African nation, right, that uh, the Black Panthers from T'Challa. But also, Wakanda we know is a Native American word. It's in the Sioux Indian language, it's in the Omaha Ponca language. It means uh, possess, uh, possesses secret powers, but it's also in the Bantu language okay it's, it's also in the african language the bantu language is, is, is spoken in south africa and in, in the congo uh wakanda what word wakanda is related to now in the african languages i, I don't know the exact meaning but i know it's related because i talked to a, a brother who speaks bantu and uh it's related to the word uganda buganda and rwanda okay and we know that in the film Black Panther, the geographical location of Wakanda is right near Rwanda. Now, throughout the fifty-two years, was it fifty-two, fifty-two years of the comic book, it would the, the location would kind of vary, either northeast Africa or somewhere around Rwanda, something like that. But in the film, they have it uh, near Rwanda. All right, so. Uh, Blavity.com has this good article, these black women launched hashtag Wakanda the vote to register voters at Black Panther screenings everywhere, to register voters at Black Panther screenings everywhere. Now, I also think that uh, we need to register uh, people to vote at the liquor stores and the gas stations. You know, I think you should be able, I think, you know, if African Americans could vote at the liquor store and gas stations when they're playing their lottery, I think you can have I mean you see voter turnout through the roof if you can <laughs> because if you if they could vote while they play their lotto and lottery right you see voter turnout through the roof I don't even understand that how is it you stand in line with money in hand to play the lotto and you have a 1 in 100 million chance of winning but you don't you and you do that every week but you don't go vote and you vote once every two or four years that doesn't even make any sense. You stand in line with money in hand. You got a one in 100 million chance of winning. You stand in line with money in hand. Some people drive to another state. There's a big $300 million uh, jackpot in a near, in nearby state. They'll drive to another state to go <laughs> to go play the lotto. <laughs> okay. Voter <laughs> suppression all around you, right? Voter <laughs> suppression all around you, but you stand in line with money in hand to play the lottery and the lotto. So, um, in October of 2017, you had three African American women, Kayla Reed, Jessica Byrd, and Rokia Lumumba, who launched the Electoral Justice Project, the EJP, the Electoral Justice Project, which is a project uh, uh, put together by the Movement for Black Lives. That aims to fight for and advocate and fight for and advance the rights of African Americans. Now, as part of the uh, electoral electoral justice projects initiative, and to coincide with the much anticipated theatrical release of Black Panther, uh, these women told Blavity.com that they are launching a new mission called hashtag WakandaTheVote. Wakanda the Vote. Wakanda the vote. Which is an initiative that plans to mobilize political engagement at several Black Panther screenings around the country during the first few weeks of the film's opening. Uh, so they said that uh, this week, so this is right around the time that the film came out, that this interview was done. They said that um, we are effective because we meet our communities where they are, whether that's in the streets. At the city council meeting or in the movie theater. Uh, they said, This weekend we wanted to meet our people in Wakanda. We know that for some it's a superhero, a superhero world, but we know that the world we deserve is still waiting to be built, and we want to build it. So, this upcoming spring in November, you have 2018 midterm elections, you have midterm elections taking place in Pennsylvania. Uh, This Tuesday, we saw him this past Tuesday in in Texas. He has some midterm elections uh, taking place, so some primaries. And they said, we want to take every opportunity to engage our communities in the conversation of electoral justice. We will be registering people to vote at movie theaters across the country so that we can hashtag Wakanda at the ballot box. Wakanda at the ballot box. Now, they said that uh, they have an important mission and a big vision for the Electoral Justice Project, which they launched in October uh, October 2017, October 2017, to let the world know that they plan to use every tool available to fight for black people. They said, quote, over 1000 people joined our launch call. And we've been building out an exciting campaign ever since. We will be engaged in actions all over the country to educate and motivate black voters, as well as launching an intensive campaign uh, manager institute, an intensive campaign manager institute this spring called the Electoral Justice League. So not the Justice League with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and the Flash and Aquaman, but the Electoral Justice League. We intend to have thousands of conversations with black people as we build a fun and life affirming political home that is not transactional, but transformational, okay? And you can text Wakanda to 91990, text Wakanda to 91990 to register to vote. Check out this article from Blavity.com, B-L-A-V-I-T-Y, Blavity.com. These black women launched hashtag Wakanda vote to register voters at Black Panther screens everywhere. We'll continue this on the other side of the break because I have an updated article about that, and we'll talk about Bloody Sunday and Harriet Tubman, the African History Network Show, 19 a.m., Superstation, the Michael M. Hotel, Future Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network Show right here on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network. Uh... We're in our second hour. Call-in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. So right before the break, I was talking about um, this initiative that was launched last month. Uh, hashtag Wakanda the vote. Hashtag Wakanda the vote. And this is an initiative launched by three African-American women. Uh, Blavity.com had a good article about this that um, dealt with their initiative to register people to vote at the theaters because so many African-Americans will be going to see and have been going to see the film Black Panther. So uh, that article was from around February 16th, February 17th, right around the time the film came out. There's an updated article from ABCnews.com for March 4th. 2018 hashtag Wakanda the vote uses popularity of Black Panther to register voters okay and it talks about how the movement for black lives organized the hashtag Wakanda the vote initiative as part of a larger campaign by the electoral justice project to help get potential voters registered the group is now turning to the premiere of a wrinkle in time a wrinkle in time to continue encouraging moviegoers to register to vote. Now, the, the campaigns are led by activists uh, Jessica Byrd, Kayla Reed, and Rakia uh, Lumumba. Now, uh, black, as us see, they said that, uh, quote, "There are going to be a large number of folks in the black community, so uh, you want to encourage them to get involved and connect the needs of our community in the larger beings of the film. Okay, connect the needs of our community and the larger beings of the film. Okay, and this is what uh, Kayla Reed Reed, uh, uh, said of the hashtag Wakanda the Vote initiative uh, in an interview with uh, ABC News. So she said that the registration drives are an opportunity to change the way the African American community is engaged around electoral issues in non-presidential election years. She said they've seen a surge of people participating in elections. She said, quote, our hope is that we can really push this idea that political can be personal. Political can be personal. That it's not weird to talk about these issues in public places. Now the um, hashtag WakandaDeVote project collects information from the registration drives including how many people they were able to register. Uh, The initiative has hosted more than 100 registration drives since it started. Now Kayla Reed said uh, that the feedback has been incredible and that the beauty of the film Black Panther is people uh, stepping in their power to be quote-unquote change-makers. People stepping in their power to be change-makers. Now many Black Panther fans took to social media to express their excitement about hashtag WakandaTheVote. Uh, Kayla Reed on uh, Twitter said Dallas is out at hashtag Black Panther. Premier is getting folks registered. This is what democracy looks like. Hashtag WakandaTheVote. Um okay, so you check out this article also. They have a couple of other social media posts there. Uh, from abcnews.com. WakandaTheVote. the vote uses popularity of Black Panther to register voters. So that is powerful, okay? And they're doing the same thing with the film A Wrinkle in Time, A Wrinkle in Time, which is the number two uh, film this weekend, according to boxofficemojo.com, receipts of $33.3 uh, $3 million, not bad for an opening weekend. Um, that's for Ava DuVernay. That is the movie that has the largest budget, For an African American female director at $100 million. Alright? Okay, so, uh, past couple of weeks, I I wanted to deal with this story and didn't have a chance to get to it, but I I saw some articles, I saw a few articles about it. I don't think there was enough coverage about this, and unfortunately, uh, a news one now with Roland Martin is not on the air anymore because I know Roland would have um, dealt with this topic. Okay? But, you had a summit uh that took place in uh Atlanta uh, a couple weeks ago back around February 24th all right uh is called the Power Rising Summit the Power Rising Summit and you had hundreds of African American women gathered at the Power Rising Summit for activism and engagement you had uh Charlene McCray the first lady of New York Stacy Abrams uh, former Georgia House minority leader and she's running for uh governor in the state of Georgia and uh the Power Rising Summit is a national summit that that has been uh planned by and for African American women and has and it kicked off in Atlanta with a roster of celebrities, elected officials and influencers slated to attend. Now this was a 4-day event scheduled to run Uh, until February uh, 25th okay so it was like from February 21st through February 25th and it was sold out okay Uh, it was expected to draw upwards of 1000 attendees from all 50 states and beyond representing various ages, faiths, sexual orientations educational and professional backgrounds now the goal of the Power Rising Summit 2018 event uh, the organizer said is helping African-American women leverage Their political, economic and social power in order to move themselves, their communities and the nation forward. Okay, to uh, is designed to help African-American women leverage their political, economic and social power in order to move themselves and their communities and the nation forward. All right. Now, the Reverend Leah Daughtry. Reverend Leah Daughtry is a co-convener of the Power Rising Summit 2018. And she said, black, quote, Black women own more than 1.5 million businesses. We are the largest users of social media and we know that we are cultural influencers. The summit will bring together black women from across the country in all different walks of life. It will focus on our political prow- prowess, Our economic power and our cultural influence, political, economic, and cultural influence. All right. So the idea for the conference arose from conversations that the Reverend Leah Daughtry, who served as CEO of the 2016 Democratic National Convention, had during a retreat hosted by female members of the Congressional Black Caucus following the uh, 2016 presidential election. Officials asked her what steps could be taken to galvanize women for positive change. In response to these questions, the Reverend Leah Daughtry and others reached out to dozens of high-profile political operatives, businesswomen, and community leaders to join forces and plan the summit. The the committee includes uh, a lawyer, attorney, and TV personality Star Jones. Latoya Jones, Director of Strategic, uh, uh, Star Jones, Latoya Jones, who's Director of Strategic Partnerships and Community Engagement for Hustle, Uh, former Democratic National Committee uh, Chief Operating Officer Mignon Moore, and Nikesha Lewis, founder of the social justice organization SheWoke.org, SheWoke.org. Now, Karen Finney, who is a political strategist. I've seen her a number of times on MSNBC. She's a former spokesperson for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Karen Finney was a co-convener of the power rising summit 2018. Okay. And uh, she said that planning this event has been a labor of love. She said, quote, it's a real testament to how black women can come together. There are a whole range of issues, health care." access to capital that impact black women that uh, the, the, that impact black women that aren't that, that either aren't being discussed or are uh, uh, sublimated to a larger conversation. We want to strategize and create an actionable agenda that people can take back to their communities. We want to strategize and create an actionable agenda that people can take back to their communities. Now, so, This is so important because I go to conferences a lot of times and they have good workshops and things like this. But see, my thing is that anytime you go to these conferences, right? Anytime you go to these conventions, there, have to, there has to be an action plan that everybody takes back to their community. Not just an action plan, it has to be a realistic action plan that everybody takes back to their communities so they can implement what they learned until the next time for next year's convention and then what should take place is that at the following year's convention then you report on what you did the previous year but you have to they, you have to come away from these conventions and conferences and things like this with a realistic action plan to implement what you learned at the conference so the summit is organized uh, around five pillars of activism and engagement. Business and economic empowerment, culture and community, education, technology and innovation, health and wellness, and political empowerment. Let me repeat that. Business, because everybody say, oh, you, you need economic empowerment, We need economic empowerment. They're, they're, they deal with this at a lot of these conferences, I've been to you know, Now, a lot of the people say we need to do this usually aren't at those conferences. Business and economic empowerment, one, culture and community, two, education, technology, and and, and innovation, three, health and wellness, four, and political empowerment, five. Planned panel topics include the issue of missing children and the benefits of physical activity for African-American women. Okay. So African-American celebrities and thought leaders in America uh, 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 participated, like Cicely Tyson, Shalane McCray, the First Lady of New York, uh, Beverly Bond, the Black Girls Rock, uh, political strategist, Simone Sanders, and more. Um, Also, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, the the, the mayor of Atlanta, was there as well. Now, on CNN, uh, Erica Alexander was interviewed. So we, we first saw Erica Alexander as Cousin Pam, on um uh, the cosby show and then we saw her on living single as attorney maxine shaw all right uh, she was interviewed on cnn and um, she talked about uh, this conference let's let's take a listen to this and turn up in here so they can hear on facebook please
4: Vote, run, lead—an organization that trains women to run for office. We'll talk about that in a minute. Thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you, Victor. We're talking in the break about how early it is to be here. Early, early. Hello. So I'm I'm alive. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's see. Um, So I had a a conversation with a group of Black uh, women voters uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. in which they said essentially that one party takes their votes for granted, and essentially the other one ignores them. What's your take?
5: You know, I think that it's, I, I I like to push back on taking them for granted. Okay. I think that it's sort of hard to feel like you're making a difference you know, in the policies. But I think for the democratic okay. agenda and what people are trying to build, black women are definitely in there. They definitely um, have... Uh um, Policy makers there's Maxine Waters. There's Sheila Jackson Lee. There are a lot of Congress people there I just think they need to speak directly more toward uh, black women so that black women know that they're on in the table at the table and that They're grateful to, that they're not shouldn't be grateful to be there. They yeah. belong there.
4: Yeah, that their voices are valid Yes, valid and yes. and that's one of the elements of vote run lead. I went to, and did a little reading about it prepares women for office and it says, regardless of their political experience or permission to do so, and encourages women to run as you are. Oh, you are. As you well,
5: are. you know, a lot of women don't feel like they're ready, hmm. and that's because they're not supported. They never felt encouraged to do something like that. It feels like too big of a bite. They have children. They have their educational uh, goals. Um, they have a lot of things on their plate. Sometimes they're robbing Peter to pay Paul, not just with money, but emotionally. But I think they're there to show show them that there's a community of mentors, people who will help them, um, and that they know more than they think and that they're more ready than they know. So they encourage them to run as they are right now and uh, get ready because uh, you could be there. And they trained 10,000 women last year. Mm -hmm. We're going for 20,000 women this year. And over 70% of the people who were first-timers won. Yeah. Usually, only ten percent win their first run, yeah. so that's how much this training matters.
4: So let's talk about Black women running for statewide office, yes. because we have seen, as you mentioned, uh, congressional um, candidates, and and actually not just candidates, but. Uh, longtime members of Congress and, and mayors, but we have never had in this country a black female governor, only two black female senators. There is one woman, Stacey Abrams, running yes, this year here in Georgia. end. go Stacey, go. But <laughs> why do you think, aside from the historical context of black women not being able to, to vote for, for most of the country's history, but in the recent history, why we haven't seen them? Moolah. Money. money.
5: Hmm. You know, sometimes you really don't have the money to run. You need money and support. You obviously need mentors. You need people to endorse you. You need people to know who you are. It's hard to get your name out there. Certainly, it's hard for people to have any, um, you know, viability without that. But um, also, you know, I, again, If you're doing a lot already, it's hard to see yourself doing your job and running for office. You don't just quit your job um, normally, and you have to have people who can support and also get out the word and work for you. So it's hard to build. It's like an entrepreneur thing, getting on, on, on board with something that you may not be familiar with.
4: Your conversation at the Power Rising Summit was about imagery and pop culture and movies. Talk about the importance of what is now going to surpass a half billion dollars uh, globally box office. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, black Panther. Yes, you
5: have to love that. Yeah. You know, Vic that. <laughs> yes. What, um, well, you know what? We're in a great time right now. I mean, Ryan Coogler and Chadwick Bosman are, uh, are doing a wonderful job um, showing uh, a fictitious version of uh, ideal black version of, of Africa. Mm-hmm. But um, Most people don't know anything about Africa. And they just
4: say Africa. They never divide it into different countries or different regions.
5: We're in this Wakandan moment in a time where I think uh, black people need to be uh, celebrated. It's
4: it's important imagery. And before I let you go, I didn't mention at the top, but many people know you as Maxine Shaw from Living Single. That's right. Is this Living Single reboot for real?
5: I don't think so. I mean, listen. Oh. I, you know, there's so there's Cagney, Lacey, there's Magna Pi. There's yeah. all these people getting rebooted, and I know people want that. But to, you know, for me, I'd like to move forward. Okay. And I really love that people enjoy the show. I have people come up to me every day and yeah. say that they're lawyers now because of her. Oh. So it is important. Black representation matters.
0: Erica
4: Alexander, <laughs> so good to have you this morning. Thank you. Thank, thank you.
0: thank you so. Okay, so that was from CNN. Uh, Black women gather for Power Rising Summit. Black women gather for Power Rising Summit. That was Erica Alexander uh on CN. That was from February twenty eight twenty eighteen. So this Power Rising Summit was huge. All right. Uh also check out the article from uh NBCnews.com. Hundreds of black women gather at Power Rising Summit for Activism and Engagement. Hundreds of black women gather at Power Rising Summit for Activism and Engagement from February twenty four twenty eighteen. All right, so uh, this past uh, week, March 7th, was the 53rd anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday, okay? And this was during the uh, Selma to Montgomery March. Uh, Wednesday was the 53rd anniversary of Bloody Sunday. So on March 7th, 1965, state troopers brutally assaulted peaceful civil rights marchers in Selma, Alabama. Um, And uh, we saw the movie Selma that depicted this as well, okay? And on March 7, 1965, around 600 people crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge in in, in an attempt to begin the Selma to Montgomery march. State troopers violently attacked the peaceful demonstrators in in an attempt to stop the march uh, for voting rights, to stop the march for voting rights, okay? Now, nearly a century after the the Confederacy's Uh, Guns fell silent. The racial legacies of slavery and reconstruction continued to reverberate loudly throughout Alabama in 1965. So we know Alabama was the seat of the fight for to to secure the right to vote. Even the passage of the landmark Civil Rights Act in 1964 months earlier had done little in some parts of the state of Alabama to ensure African-Americans of the basic right to vote. Perhaps no place was Jim Crow's grip tighter than in Dallas County. Dallas County, where African-Americans made up more than half of the population, yet accounted for just 2% of registered voters. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Here you listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio. on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes.
2: All right. Home,
0: life, and auto. Okay, guys, stand by. We'll be back in a few minutes here since 1996. Yeah, this is a short break. This break's only 2 minutes. Okay. If I can be of service. Calling numbers 313-778-7600 call 7 7 7 if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600 7 7 7 if you have a question or comment. Uh, let's see here. What you say
6: If the conversation is hot and the lines are jammed, give us a try at 313 778 7600 Or 313-778-7601. Alright, stand by everybody. 313-778-7600 or 313-778-7601. 910 Nine, AM Superstation is the voice of Detroit. And we want to hear what you have to say by any means necessary. The AM Superstation is in a league of its own. We are the only top radio station in the Metro Detroit area sensitive to the African American community. You join us on one place. Nine, 9. 910 AM Superstation. 910 AM Superstation. 910 AM Superstation. Metro Detroit's only.
0: Okay. Yeah, that clip from uh, history.com. Cute yeah. up. Okay. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Hey, visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. We have a... uh, uh, sale on uh, our latest bundle pack of eight of my DVD lectures, some of my latest presentations. We have that sale going on for a few more hours. You get eight of them for $50, regularly $120. We have those shipping out this week, so you can order that, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Then also we have uh, a sale on a bundle pack of online courses that I teach. Um, it's um, You get uh, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach in school. That's a uh, seven-session, 14-hour online course, plus there's 20 hours of bonus content. That's on demand. You can watch it as soon as you register. Uh, you get Great African Women, in History the Mothers of Civilization. Uh, it also automatically registr- registers you for the uh, online class I'm teaching on Saturday, March 24th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dealing with the film Black Panther, and analysis of the film Black Panther. Um... You get uh, how Richard Nixon's war on drugs was a war on the African American community, and uh, some other ones also. So uh, most of those are uh, already uh, they're on demand, so you can watch as soon as you register. Go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. African African is right on the home page. Okay, so right before the break, okay. we were talking talking about uh, Bloody Sunday. That was March seventh, nineteen sixty-five. Okay, that was the uh, during the summer to Montgomery March. All right, okay. so, um, in you know, the, the Civil Rights Act in 1964, that passed in July of, uh, I think it was July of 1964, okay? But that did little uh, in some parts of the state of Alabama to ensure African Americans the basic right to vote. So perhaps no place was uh, Jim Crow's grip tighter than in Dallas County, okay, in Alabama, uh, where African Americans made up more than half of the population, yet accounted for just 2% of registered voters. All right, so if we look at, um, uh, a lot of people think that they started organizing when Dr. King got involved, but that's not true. If you look at an article from uh, theroot.com, theroot.com, five things you should know about Selma. Five things you should know about Selma. That's from March 6, 2015. Okay? Um, it talks about how Selma residents were working on voting rights long before Martin Luther King Jr. decided to go there. Now this is not this is not trying to take anything away from Dr. King, but, but 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 the way the the way the a lot of times the folklore of the civil rights movement is told is that you know Dr. King was the center of the civil rights movement, okay? And I I, I wouldn't even say he was the leader of the civil rights movement. Okay, this is not taking anything away from him. There were there was grassroots organizing all across the country that was taking place. There was grassroots organizing, but oftentimes the story is told with him as the center, and that's just not that's just not true. So, in um, the book *Bending Toward Justice*, *Bending Bending Toward Justice*, the Voting Rights Act and the transformation of American democracy, historian Gary May notes that in. The 1930s, Samuel Boynton and his wife, Amelia Boynton, joined with C.J. Adams, the head of the local chapter of the NAACP, and other local residents to revive the the Dallas County Voters League, which was founded in 1926 to encourage um, African-American Selma residents to register to vote, but had shut down after years of futility, okay? So you had youth activists uh, from the student Nonviolent Coordinating committee uh, who who had almost written off organizing in Selma Alabama okay until Bernard Lafayette jr. decided to take up the challenge so in his book B- bending toward justice the Voting Rights Act and the transformation of American democracy uh, Gary may uh, recounts how the 21 year old, uh, Bernard Lafayette, who was a graduate of Fisk University, had cut his t- had cut his activist teeth during the Nashville, Tennessee lunch counter sit-ins in 1960. Okay, and he went to SNCC's Atlanta offices looking for a new assignment. SNCC executive secretary James Foreman showed Bernard Lafayette a map covered with pins, you know, stick pins, indicating cities in the south where the movement was active. So Selma, Alabama was covered with an X. And James Foreman told Bernard Lafayette Jr. that SNCC had abandoned the city of Selma, Alabama because organizing voters there was quote-unquote too hard. Was too hard. Was too hard. Was too hard. Okay, according to uh, Gary May. Instead Instead, Lafayette. Instead, Lafayette saw an opportunity. Okay, in February 1963, he came to Selma, Alabama, and began working with the uh, Dallas County Voter League, the Dallas County Voter League, and other local residents to help prepare Black Selma residents to overcome the barriers that county officials have put in place to deny African Americans the right to vote. More importantly, Bernard Lafayette Jr. began recruiting Selma's young people into the movement. Now, by the time Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference came to Selma, Alabama, to focus on voting rights, on a voting rights campaign, a firm foundation for the movement was in place. Okay? So, the movement hijacked the symbolic history of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. All right? Now, Edmund Pettus was uh, a brigadier general in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. And he was also, he led the Alabama Ku Klux Klan and was later elected to the U.S. Senate. So here you have a, <laughs> you have a leader of the KKK who becomes a U.S. Senator in Alabama. Okay? He reminds me of another U.S. Senator from Alabama. Right? I'm not going to call any names. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. He, he reminds me of him. <laughs> he reminds me of, of Beauregard, right, who's now the Attorney General out of Alabama. And, and, and Jefferson Beauregard, Sessions III, cheered the gutting of the Civil Rights Act. Uh, oh, he, sorry. He cheered the gutting of the Voting Rights Act with the um, uh, Supreme Court case Shelby County versus Holder of uh, 2013. So given the Ku Klux Klan's history, Of terrorizing African Americans. It's only fitting that a bridge named after one of its leaders, now forever known as a national historic landmark in tribute to the civil rights movement. Okay? So, when we look at uh, Bloody Sunday, all right, these are some events leading up to it. Okay, so for months, the efforts of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, to register African American voters in the county seat. of Selma, Alabama, had been thwarted. In January of 1965, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to the city and gave the backing of the SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership uh, uh, Conference, uh, to the cause. Peaceful Peaceful demonstrations in Selma and surrounding communities resulted in the arrest of thousands, including Dr. King, who wrote to the New York Times, quote, this is Selma, Alabama. There are more Negroes in jail with me than there are on the voting rolls." There are more Negroes in jail with me than there are on the voting rolls. So the rising racial tensions finally bubbled over into bloodshed in the nearby town of Marion, Alabama on February 18, 1965, when state troopers clubbed protesters and fatally shot 26-year-old Jimmy Lee Jackson who was an african-american demonstrator trying to protect his mother who was being struck by police now i want to go to this clip here this is from history.com. History.com remembering selma's bloody sunday let's go to this clip
6: part of the night not far from selma his grandfather tajalee and his mother were a part of the demonstration there was a police riot, and state
3: troopers a m. bunch of folks In like
6: a local cafe, and state troopers assaulted Jimmy Lee Jackson's mother. He came to her aid, and they shot him, and eventually he stumbles out of the cafe and dies. And James Devil, who's working with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference at SCLC, recommends that they take the body of Jimmy Lee Jackson and walk it up Highway 80. And place it at the steps of the state capitol as a protest against the policies of Alabama, but also of Governor Wallace. That idea morphs into what becomes the Selma to Montgomery March.
2: We were determined that we were going to march from Selma hey, Turn to up Mungan. the video, please. We left the Brown Chapel Church here. Turn up in here down to, in. to yeah, yeah, here. Edmund yeah, Pettus yeah, Bridge yeah. with the expectation of marching across that bridge on the way to money Here we are in Selma, Alabama. They
1: are praying before they march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. There's John Lewis, later a congressman, Hosea Williams. There's Andrew Young, former U.N. ambassador. There's the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they're marching across. Here we are. What's waiting on the other side of the bridge? Alabama state troopers. That Confederate flag on the front of that trooper car hidden there by happenstance.
2: A person with a bull home said he had orders from the governor not to allow that march to continue. We were asked to disperse, go back to our homes or back to the church. And if not, we would actually be moved. And we had decided we were not gonna turn unless we were turned
1: troopers knew there was going to be some trouble, so they put the gas mask on. They stop and they face the troopers. As the head of the state troopers, Major John Cloud, tells them to disperse, well, they don't disperse. And when they don't disperse,
2: the troopers go wild. So he gave orders for the state troopers to move in on with their billy clubs clutched on both ends. And literally went down the line of marches, topping us over. Blood flowing. Pandemonium broke out in the crowd—a state of disbelief that this was happening in the United States of America. Here's John Lewis
1: being brutally assaulted by the Alabama state troopers, as are all the other people who were there peacefully protesting for the right to vote.
6: The marchers are assaulted by an array of law enforcement officers, and that is deemed across the nation and across the world as the forces in Alabama trying to turn back the idea that black people wanted to participate in the political process.
2: Getting back to that church from whence we had come, I looked into the faces of those persons who were able to get back to brown Church. Some were beaten on the highway across the bridge. And as I looked into their faces, I saw again a determination that we were ready to really give whatever it took in order to get that right to vote, to participate, to determine the destiny of our lives.
0: Okay, so that was from uh, history dot com. Uh, remembering Bloody Sunday. Remembering Bloody Sunday. So in response, uh, in response to the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson, uh, according to this article from history dot com, February 18th, 1965, civil rights leaders plan to take their calls directly to Alabama Governor George Wallace. Now this is the same white supremacist segregationist George Wallace, who uh, I think it was nineteen sixty three. He said, "Segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever," and they. Um, launched a, they, they organized a 54 mile march from Selma to the state's capital Montgomery, Alabama. And they want to take um, his uh, body the body of Jimmy Lee Jackson uh, to the state's capital so although George, uh, Governor George Wallace ordered state troopers quote to use whatever measures are necessary to prevent a march end quote, approximately 600 voting rights advocates set out from the Brown Chapel AME Church on Sunday, March seventh. Dr. King, who met with President Lyndon Johnson just two days earlier to discuss voting rights legislation, remained in Atlanta. So he was not. Dr. King was not there for Bloody Sunday. By a coin flip, it was determined that Hosea Williams would represent uh, the SCLC at the at the head of the march, along with 25-year-old John Lewis, uh, who was uh, a, 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 a SNCC chairman, a Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, chairman. So the demonstrators marched undisturbed uh, through downtown Selma, where the ghosts of the past constantly permeated the present. As they began to cross the steel arched bridge spanning the Alabama River, the marchers who gazed uh, who gazed up could see the name of a Confederate general and reputed Grand Dragon of the Alabama Ku Klux Klan, Edmund Pettus, staring right back at them. In big block letters emblazoned across the bridge's crossbeam, once Hosea Williams and John Lewis reached the crest of the bridge, they saw trouble on the other side. A wall of state troopers wearing white helmets and slapping billy clubs in their hands stretched across Route 80. At the base of the span, uh, at the base of the span, behind them were deputies of County Sheriff Jim Clark, some on horseback, and dozens of white spectators waving Confederate flags and giddily anticipating a showdown. Knowing a confrontation awaited, the marchers pressed on in a thin column down the bridge's sidewalk until they stopped about 50 feet away from the authorities. Major John Cloud called out from his bullhorn, It would be detrimental to your safety to continue this march. This is an unlawful assembly. You have to disperse. You are ordered to disperse. Go home or go to your church. This march will not continue. Jose Williams replied, Mr. Major, I would like to have a word. Can we have a word? Major John Cloud replied, I've got nothing further to say to you. Jose Williams and uh, John Lewis stood their ground at the front of the line. After a few moments, the troopers with gas masks affixed to their faces and clubs at the ready advanced. They pushed back. John Lewis pushed back Josea Williams. Then the troopers' pace quickened. They knocked the marchers to the ground. They struck them with sticks, clouds of tear gas mixed with the screams of terrified marchers and the cheers of reveling bystanders. Deputies on horseback charged ahead and chased the gasping men, women, and children back over the bridge as they swung clubs, whips, and rubber tubing wrapped in barbed wire. These good Christians. Although forced back, the protesters did not fight back. Weeks earlier, Dr. King had scolded Life magazine photographer uh, Flip Schulk, S C H U L K E, I think that's Schulk or Schulky Schulk for trying to assist protesters knocked to the ground by authorities instead of snapping away. Dr. King told Schulk, quote, The world doesn't know this happened because you didn't photograph it. Okay, cause everybody <laughs> they didn't have cell phones back then, so they can record this themselves. He said, the world doesn't know this happened because you didn't photograph it. So this time, however, television cameras captured the entire assault and transformed the local protests into a national civil rights event. It took hours for the film to be flown from Alabama to the television network headquarters in New York. But when it aired that night, Americans were appalled at the sights and sounds of Bloody Sunday. Around 9.30 p.m., ABC, News, ABC newscaster Frank Reynolds interrupted the network's broadcast of Judgment at Nuremberg, the star-studded movie that explored Nazi bigotry, war crimes, and the moral culpability of those who followed orders and did not speak out against the Holocaust. They interrupted that to air the disturbing newly arrived footage from Selma, Alabama. Nearly 50 million Americans who had tuned into the film's long awaited television premiere could not escape the historical echoes of Nazi stormtroopers in the scenes of the rampaging rampaging state troopers. Gene Roberts and Hank uh, Klibanoff uh, who wrote for the Race Beat uh, uh, publication, they said the juxtaposition struck like psychological lightning in American homes. Now, the connection wasn't lost in uh, Selma, Alabama, either. When the store was finally empty of customers, uh, one local shopkeeper confided to Washington Star reporter uh, Haynes Johnson about the city's institutional racism. This shopkeeper said, quote, everybody knows it's going on, but they try to pretend they don't see it. I saw judgment at Nuremberg, Nuremberg, on the late show the other night and I thought it fits right in It's just like Selma. Now outrage at Bloody Sunday swept the country. Sympathizers stayed sit-ins, traffic blockades, and demonstrations in solidarity with the voting rights marchers. Some even traveled to Selma where two days later Dr. King attempted another march, but to the dismay of some demonstrators turned back when Uh, state troopers again blocked the highway at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Finally, after a federal court order permitted the protest, the voting rights marchers left Selma on March 21, 1965, under the protection of federalized National Guard troops. Four days later, they reached Montgomery, Alabama, with the crowd growing to 25,000 by the time they reached the Capitol steps. The events in Selma, Alabama galvanized public opinion and mobilized Congress to pass the Voting Rights Act, which President Johnson signed into law on August 6, 1965. Today, the bridge that served as the backdrop to Bloody Sunday still bears the name of a white supremacist, but now it is a symbolic civil rights landmark. So that's an article from History.com. History.com is the official website of the History Channel. Check that out. Remembering Selma's Bloody Sunday. Remembering. Selma's Bloody Sunday. If we go back and look at uh, uh, Five Things You Should Know About Selma Five Things You Should Know About Selma from theroot.com They talk about how the day the Voting Rights Act was signed was not an arbitrary date when Dr. King and other Selma activists joined uh, President Johnson at the White House for the signing of the Voting Rights Act on August 6, 1965 the day's historical significance may have been lost to some On that day in 1861, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Confiscation Act, the Confiscation Act, the first of two uh, acts, which freed all slaves who were being used by the Confederacy. Okay. They were they were um, uh, they were uh, uh, listed. They were uh, classified as contraband. Okay. The acts were a precursor to the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, which was uh, you had a preliminary emancipation proclamation, September 22, 1862, and then the uh, the real emancipation proclamation was January 1, 1863. But that's not what actually freed the slaves. It was the 13th Amendment, um, ratified December 6, um, 1865. So the acts were a precursor. The uh, Confiscation Act, the Confiscation Acts were a precursor to the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay. Uh, which in the Emancipation Proclamation stated that the slaves in the states uh, in rebellion were free, but the slaves in the border states like Delaware, Missouri, Kentucky, you're still slaves. Um, so that's not what freed. <laughs> that's not what freed the slaves. So the Selma movement helped also give birth to the Black Panther Party for self-defense. So at the end of the march from Selma to Montgomery, to Montgomery. You had a 23-year-old SNCC activist named Stokely Carmichael, who decided to head to Lowndes County, Alabama. Head to Lowndes County, Alabama, where 80% of the population in Lowndes County was African American, but there were zero African Americans registered to vote. Lowndes, Lowndes County, Alabama: 80% of the population was African American, but there, but, but zero. African Americans were registered to vote because there was voter intimidation, there was, there were attacks. Um, And then this is after the White Citizens Council was created. White Citizens Council was created in 1954 in Mississippi uh, as a direct uh, backlash to the Brown versus Board of Education, Brown versus Board of Education desegregation case, okay? And um, if you registered to vote, you could have your. So the, the, the White Citizens Council was made up of business owners, bankers, judges, politicians, landowners, things like this. So if you registered to vote, you could be fired from your plantation that you worked on as a farmer. This is what happened to Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer was the youngest of 20 children. She's out of Mississippi. And Fannie Lou Hamer worked on, she was a a sharecropper on the uh, plantation her family worked on. They picked cotton. And she got fired from that plantation, not because she voted, but because she registered to vote. She got fired. If you registered to vote and you had a a loan with the bank, say maybe for a farm, and you had a loan with the bank, your loan could be called in because you registered to vote. See, many of us don't understand the fight that we went through to get the right to vote to protect it. So, in Lowndes County, Alabama, 80% of the population in Lowndes County was African American, but there were zero African Americans registered to vote. So, to build a new political party, uh, Stokely Carmichael formed the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, the LLCFO, the Lowndes. County Freedom Organization, L-O-W-N-D-E-S. And for their symbol they used the Black Panther for their symbol. So in October 1966 Stokely Carmichael, who was now head of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and a leading voice of the Black Power Movement, was a keynote speaker at a conference in Berkeley, California. In attendance at this conference were Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, who would adopt the Black Panther logo from the Lowndes County Freedom Organization for a new organization they were forming in Oakland, California, called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And they got permission from Stokely Carmichael, from the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, to use that symbol, okay? They were founded October 16, 1966, all right? Okay, so that's some history of uh, uh, Bloody Sunday, which ties into the Black Power movement, ties into the Black Panther Party for Self Defense. Just so people understand, the, the the Black Panther character from Marvel Comics was uh, debuted uh, Volume One, Issue Fifty Two of the Fantastic Four in July, nineteen sixty six. This is before the Black Panther Party for Self Defense was founded. Just so people understand that timeline. All right. Okay, so. Um, Also, this past week, we saw Harriet Tubman honored. Now, I'm not sure if Donald Trump is going to say, "I see Harriet Tubman honored more and more these days." I don't know if Donald Trump uh, knows Harriet Tubman is dead. She died in 1913. Okay. Um, Maybe Omarosa would tell him. She's not in the White House anymore. Omarosa said leaving the White House felt like being freed from a plantation. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right, but um, Baltimore Sun has a good article. Baltimore park space where Confederate statue once stood is rededicated to Harriet Tubman. All right, uh, this is from March 10th. This is from uh, yesterday, March 10th, 2018. More than 200 local residents and elected leaders gathered in a tree-lined corner of a Baltimore park on Saturday, uh, uh, March 10th, to rededicate the space which had long venerated two Confederate generals to the famed abolitionist and Underground Railroad conductor Harriet Tubman. Now, Ernestine Jones-Williams, who's 71 years old and is a Baltimore County resident and a Tubman family descendant, said, we stand on the shoulders of this great woman. She spoke on behalf of, of the family. She said, we are overwhelmed, overwhelmed, thank you, and God bless now the ceremony in Wyman Park, Dale, D E L L, on the one hundred and fifth anniversary of Harriet Tubman's death, took place feet uh, took place uh, uh, a few feet from the now empty pedestal of a large bronze double equestrian statue of Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, and officially renamed the space. Harriet Tubman Grove. Harriet Tubman Grove. Now, if you study General Robert E. Lee, you see that General Robert E. Lee was against erecting Confederate monuments. General, General Robert E. Lee, if you study, I do this in my presentation, with the history of the Confederate monument. General Robert E. Lee was against erecting Confederate monuments, right? So then you see Confederate monuments and General Robert E. Lee, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, so um, this statue had stood in the park, the statue of uh, General Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, these Confederate uh, heroes, these traitors, these uh, white supremacists. Uh, They stood in the park since 1948 but but were removed in August of 2017 amid a national debate and protest over Confederate symbolism and monuments and how they are viewed by those who see them as offensive reminders of the country's racial history and those who proudly consider them a part of their southern heritage. Now, Donald John Trump, who's not from the South, he says, you know, leave them up, they're part of history. Donald Trump doesn't understand history. They were erected to terrorize African Americans. This is largely why the Confederate monuments were erected. You have, there were 11 states in the Confederacy. The Confederacy existed from 1861 to 1865. There were 11 states in the Confederacy. You have Confederate monuments in 31 states. Why is that? Read their article from History.com, official website of the History Channel, how the U.S. got so many Confederate monuments. How the U.S. got so many Confederate monuments. These were erected to terrorize African Americans and keep us in the position we were in and it, during periods of time of advancement you have huge amounts of these Confederate monuments erected. The um, uh, public reckoning over the placement and meaning of such statues in public places and the often negative roles the people uh, the people honored by these uh, monuments place, uh, played in history be, began in large part in 2015 after white supremacist Dylan Roth killed nine African-Americans at the uh, uh, church in uh, Charleston, Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. It grew in August after a violent white supremacist rally in Charlottesville where you had Heather Hare who was killed, okay? Mayor Catherine Pugh's administration, Mayor Baltimore, removed four Baltimore monuments with ties to the Confederacy. The Lee Jackson uh, Monument, a monument to Chief Justice Roger B. Tanney, who we just had the anniversary early this week of the Dred Scott decision in 1857. Roger B. Taney uh, was the uh, Supreme Court Justice in that case. All right. The Confederate Soldiers and Sailors Monument on Mount Royal Avenue and the Confederate Women's Monument on West University Parkway days after the Charlottesville rally in an unannounced overnight operation citing safety and security concerns. Yeah, they did that in the dead of night. I remember watching that live. They did that in the dead of night. They took down those monuments. Bam. Daylight came. People didn't know what happened. Check out this article from BaltimoreSun.com. Baltimore Park Space, where Confederate statue once stood, is rededicated to Harriet Tubman. Okay? Hey, this uh, Tuesday at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, they're going to have Dr. Dana uh, Ramey Berry, Dr. Dana Ramey Berry, uh, I'm familiar with the work, she's a historian, brilliant sister, she should be doing a lecture, book signing this Tuesday, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, Charles H. Wright, Museum of African American History. Visit theWright.org. theright.org, and we'll get this up at africanhistorynetwork.com. Hey, visit our website, uh, we've got the bundle packs, my DVD lectures there. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, and empowering, and inspiring people. African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Stay tuned for Pastor Mo. Right now, let correct wrong behavior. 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.